Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. You guys ready to get into the Word today? Get out your Bible, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 30. Uh, I need to set up the story first, so don't, don't get to reading uh, yet. If you, if you have a digital Bible, you can flip to the ESV. Um, not, not every time, obviously, but, but often we do something, whether it's a job, a career, a hobby, like our parents did. And we, we kind of follow in our parents' footsteps. So let me ask you, uh, don't raise your hand yet, but do you have a, a career or a hobby or an art or a thing that you love in life and you kind of learned it from your parents. Could you just shoot a hand up real quick if that's you? It's like, I have this thing that I do, that I work, that I love, that I whatever. Yeah, more than half the people, probably three, three quarters of us. Um, like if you notice when you watch you know, a pro sports game, boy, I said that like a person that's never watched athletic sports on TV. So by the way, tonight is the Super Bowl. How many of you are rooting for the Chiefs? Okay. How many for San Francisco? How many for the commercials? How many could absolutely care less and are not going to watch the game? That always freaks me out. Every year I ask the same question. And it's just so weird to me because I love the Super Bowl and I love the, everything about it. And, and the majority of the people just don't care. They could care less. So that always freaks me out. I, to me, it's a big deal. So I'm excited, mostly for the commercials. So, um... But a lot of times they'll, they'll reference an athlete, like Patrick Mahomes is a great example. His father was a professional athlete. A lot of times pro athletes, kids become pro athletes because they see their mom or dad doing their sport all the time. A lot of people cook because their parents are either cook really well or chefs, or maybe somebody loves to read, but it's because they grew up watching mom and dad reading a lot, or you're into dance, or maybe you're into motorsports, or hunting, or fishing, or you know, arts, or you know, gardening, or whatever it is. Like, oftentimes, kids pick up something from their parents. I mean, not every time. You guys know my story. My stepfather was an engineer for NASA putting space shuttle in space. Like, this apple fell way far from that tree. But other people will often pick up something from their parents. Why? Obviously, because kids spend thousands of hours with their parents growing up. So if, if dad's into old, restoring old cars and for some reason that the kid is into, it's because he spent time watching dad do this thing that he loves. So take that thought. Some of you are like, oh, I know where we're going with this. Well, don't jump to the end of the class. Let me get this out first and then you can say yes. Take that thought, pin it over here, because I want to read to you one of the most banana stories in the Bibles that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but somehow it's how God created things to happen. Uh, I guess I should set the story up if you're new to, to Jesus stuff. Um, in the book of Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve uh, sin against God, which separates God from man. So God wants to enact a rescue mission um, so he eventually wants to get to Jesus, where a savior can come and save everybody. But he's got to start with one guy and, and then pick that family line. So he picks Abraham and he says, Abe, I'm going to one day bless the whole world through you. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son. Actually, Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. 
they were twin boys, but Esau was older. So the inheritance should be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But in his old age, Jacob deceived his father, Isaac, and he stole the birthright and the inheritance from his brother Esau. So that's why things go Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It should have gone Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. So uh, Jacob has received the inheritance, but he hasn't received the money. He's received like the, the, the blessing, but he's still a young guy. He hasn't actually received the, the finances yet. He's not even married. He's just like this young guy. So Isaac, his dad says, you know what? Go to my brother-in-law's house, Laban. He's in, you know, a couple of states away. And I want you to find a wife from that family line and then come back when you're married and you've got life going. So Jacob's heading on his way to Uncle Laban's house. And this is the story where he stops and has this dream. And when he has this dream, he sees, and he just stopped on the road in the middle of the desert. He sees this ladder that's going from where Jacob was up into heaven. And he sees angels descending and ascending, ministering heaven to earth. And in this dream, Jacob's talking with the Lord, and God says, Jake, I'm going to bless you. Extreme wealth, unbelievable family. I, I, and this is the best part. I'm going to be with you. I, I promise that you're going to experience my presence because there was a hunger for the things of God in Jacob. In fact, go back two chapters, Genesis chapter 28. Let me read a verse to you that sticks out to me in the story. Genesis 28, behold, Jake, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And I'm going to bring you back to this land. Talk about the land of Israel. I'm not going to leave you until I have done what I promised. If you've got a Bible that you like to highlight in or highlight that, I'm not going to leave you until I, I do what I've promised that I'm going to do for you. I, I'm not, my presence is going to be with you until I complete the thing that I promised. Church, the blessing of God and the presence of God cannot be separated. It is impossible to host the presence of God without the blessing of God being nearby. But when these things happen and there is a financial blessing, there's always a test of the heart. And often, we that live in the West, we that live in the first world nations, we that live in wealth and have a roof over our head and food in our belly, which half the world doesn't, we take our eyes off of the presence of God and we put them on the blessings and it's like, how do we keep more of these blessings going? And then we lose it all. Why? Because we took our eyes off the one who brought the blessing. So there's this test of the heart when we're blessed. Will we keep our eyes fixed on the presence of the Lord? And I love Jacob. This is a young guy. He's a bit of a deceiver. And when I say a bit, I mean he literally stole an inheritance from his brother and tricked his dad. But he has this honor for God and the things of God. And he hears God in this vision, in this dream, that says, I'm going to bless you abundantly and my presence is going to go with you. So when he wakes up, he says to the Lord, uh, verse 22, he says, and of all that you give me, I'm going to give a full tenth back to you. All that you give me, I'm going to give you back 10%. This is a pretty mature statement for a guy that owns nothing and has nothing and the Lord hasn't done anything for him yet. And Jacob is going to go, you're going to read it in the next two chapters, Jacob's going to go work for Laban. He's going to go be a shepherd. He's going to manage 
his flock. So there's this concept that God's just going to bless me. No, God's going to bless you if you work hard. I like that, amen. Because Jacob just didn't go to the land of Laban to receive. Jacob went to the land of Laban to work really hard. And then God says, I'm going to use your hard work to bless you. And then Jacob said, I'm going to give you back 10%. He sees his paycheck, not what he's earned. He sees it as a gift from God. And I love his heart to honor the Lord in wealth. He says, I'm going to return to you the first 10% of everything you bless me. Jacob doesn't own anything yet. He's this young guy. He's penniless. No house, no wife, no dog, no pickup truck. He's, he's a bad country music song. But he believes the word of the Lord that says, I will prosper you. And you will be blessed. A lot of people are never blessed financially because they never decide in their heart what and how to honor God with the income that's about to come. A lot of Christians are not financially blessed because they haven't decided in their heart what to do when God blesses them financially. And a lot of people are not blessed because they don't actually enter into the presence of God. And in the presence of God and the blessing of God are combined, they attend church, but they don't enter into his presence. I digress. Jacob arrives at Uncle Laban's house. He doesn't really know. There's not like FaceTime. Like he doesn't really know Laban that well. But the first, the first person he meets is this smoking hot girl named Rachel. And like immediately Jacob is in love. And then he finds out it's Laban's daughter. It's his cousin. Now, we're only 27 chapters away from the Garden of Eden. And at this point in the biblical narrative, God doesn't mind kissing cousins. He changes later, but at this point, God is like, hey, if you're hot for your cousin, go for it. So, it sounds so weird. We're in Genesis 28, 29, 30. It's not weird back then. Weird today, not weird then. So, Jacob goes to Laban, says, I want to marry that girl. And Uncle Laban is like, absolutely. And in those days, marriages were arranged. Although Jacob had fallen in love with Rachel, the marriage was a, a contract. It was an agreement. And they shook hands, and here was the price. Laban says, work for me for seven years. You can have Rachel. He's like, bet. And the Bible literally says he loved Rachel so much, the seven years went by so quickly. They weren't married yet, but he got to see her. He got to be around her. He'd take the sheep and the goats and do sheepy goat things, and then he'd come back. He'd like, I want to see Rachel. I want to see Rachel. Seven years later, they have this huge marriage ceremony. You have to remember it's Genesis chapter 30. There's no electricity. There's no lights. So they have this wedding. Jacob goes into the tent. And he's like, bow, chicka, bow, wow. This young woman comes in. He sleeps with her, which is the covenant of marriage. Don't sleep with people you're not married to. And he wakes up in the morning, and it's her older sister, sister Leah. And the Bible says that Leah is nasty, funky-looking chick. So Jacob is furious. He didn't love Leah. He didn't want the older sister. He didn't want the funky sister. Some of you girls that are sisters, you're like, am I the pretty sister or the funky sister? If you're asking. The point is, 
So he comes to Laban, and he's like, what the heck? Why did you make me marry your ugly daughter? He said, because she's the oldest. And in our culture, the oldest daughter gets married first and then the youngest. So then Laban says, all right, all right, all right my bad. I, I, you, you, you figured me out. I'll give you Rachel. Give me seven more years. So 14 years of hard labor. And you could have her right now. So he went from no wives to two wives, sisters, in a week. That's a lot. I love my wife and my sister-in-law, but I don't want two of them. Like, I'm very happy with one. One is enough, you know what I'm saying? And I'm very, very blessed and grateful. Would you stop? 14 years. So they get married. He's married to both of them. And he goes back to work seven more years for Uncle Laban. Crooked, crooked Uncle Laban, but he goes back to work. Now remember, he, he doesn't have any money. Everything he's doing, he's doing for his uncle. But he honors God. And he remembers that God said, I'm going to extremely bless you. You're going to have this amazing family, which comes to one of the most banana stories in the Bible. Leah, babies right away. Rachel, the one he really loves, no babies. Hard time conceiving. Long story short, they finally get pregnant. And Rachel gives birth to a baby named Joseph. The same Joseph as in the Joseph, um, the prince of Egypt, with the coat of many colors, if you're playing along at home. Let's pick up the story, Genesis chapter 30. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, hey, send me away. I want to go back to my own country, my own home. So let me take my wives and my children. I've served you so that I can go. But you know that my service I have given to you. Laban said, hey, dude, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned through divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So we already know that Uncle Laban is shady. We already know that he has no fear of God. And now we know he uses witchcraft. And the demons told Laban that the reason you're blessed is because Jacob honors God and he works for you. The devil knows more about the power of the presence of God than most Christians do. And the blessing that comes along with it. Verse 28, Laban says back to, to Jake, he says, all right, name your wages and I'll give you whatever you want. 29, Jacob said to him, you yourself know that I have served you and how your livestock have fared with me. For when I first got here, you know, 14 years ago, you had very little before I got here. And it has now increased abundantly. And he gives praise to the Lord. He says, the Lord has blessed you wherever I have turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? Just stop right there. I love that Jacob honored the Lord to his demon-worshiping boss. I love that he gave glory and honor to God and that Laban's business was prospered because Jacob honored God. Uncommon church, you honor God and you have a hunger for his presence and God's blessing falls on you and where you work. At least it should. Verse 31, Laban said, all right, what can I give you? What do you want for for your, your money? Jacob said, you're not gonna give me anything. But do this, I'm going to again pasture your flock 
and then I'm going to keep parts of it. So let me pass through the flock today. I'm going to remove all of the speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And all of these, that's going to be my wages. So Laban heard what Jacob wanted. And he's like, you want all the speckled and spotted. You want all of the less valuable animals. And Laban gets to keep all the pure colored ones. And he's like, this is a great deal for me. And my nephew's an idiot. Because I get to keep all the valuable ones. And all the pure colored animals, they get to stay with Laban. All the spotted and speckled go with Jacob. And he's like, bet. Verse 33. My, this is Jacob speaking. My honesty will answer for me later. When you come and you look at my wages, you come and look at my animals, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if it's found with me, then you can consider that stolen from you. Laban says, all day long, son, let it be as you have said. But a crooked, demon-worshipping, shady Uncle Laban. That day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted. Oh and all the female goats that were spotted and speckled, and every other one that has some white on it, and every other lamb that was black. And he put them in charge of his own sons, and then he set his sons a three days distance away from Jacob as Jacob was pasturing all the rest of what's left. So old crooked, lying, thieving Uncle Laban, he took all of Jacob's wealth and he sent it off. He took Jacob's paycheck so Jacob, after 14 years, is starting with nothing. And then he has him shipped off to be raised somewhere else. So all that Jacob has left is Laban's animals. Verse 37. Jacob took some fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, and he peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the stick. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in their feeding troughs, that is, their watering places as well, where the flocks would come and drink. Sorry, I got that wrong. And, when, and since they bred where they were eating and drinking, when they'd come to drink, the flocks would breed in front of the sticks so that the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted animals. Jacob separated the lambs and he set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black ones towards the flock of Laban. He put his own droves, Jacob's own droves of animals, he separated them and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, so it was a strong sheep, a strong goat, Jacob would go get those striped and spotted sticks and he would put them before the eyes of the strong ones when they were breeding so they might breed among the sticks. But if they were feebler in the flock, he would not lay the spotted and striped sticks there. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks and had female servants and had male servants and had camels and he had donkeys. So Jacob, after 14 years of working for his lying, thieving uncle, starts with nothing. But he knows the value is less for a spotted animal, but he knows the value of a stronger animal that has to live in the desert. And Jacob is the one who gets to manage how they breed and when they breed and what they're looking at. 
So yeah, all of Jacob's animals were spotted and speckled and streaked, but they were strong, and there was a vast number of them. He had extreme wealth. Chapter 31 says he did all of this in six years. What's the point? We reproduce what we behold. Write that down. We reproduce what we, what we behold. I do not understand this banana story. I do not understand that two animals that don't have spots and streaks can look at spotted and speckled branches of wood, make a baby, and then a spotted and speckled animal comes out. But the principle we learn is we reproduce the thing that we look at the most. The reason that children pick up a hobby or a, a career or some passion from their parents is because they saw their parents doing it for thousands of hours. We that are in the kingdom, we will reproduce the thing that we behold. And a lot of people sing a worship song, but they do not behold the presence of Jesus. They look at the church or they look at a famous worship leader, or they look at a famous preacher, but they never look at Jesus. They have a religion, but they do not have a relationship with Jesus. And if we become like the thing that we look at most, ask yourself, what do I look at the most in my life? On your phone, on your internet history, on your Instagram, on your Facebook, what do you look at the most on Netflix, Twitter, Hulu, Facebook, I lost count, all the things you look at. What are you looking at most? Because your life is going to reproduce the thing that you're looking at the most. Is, your, is the fruit of your life the king in his kingdom? Let me just speak to mom and dad for a minute. Parents, your children will reproduce what they see you doing. So are they seeing you like we had in worship today? Are they seeing you entering into the presence of God and ministering to the Lord? When, when, when your kids are in their room, you know, doing some homework, reading a book, cleaning up, playing, just being kids, and they come out in the living room, do they watch you watching some show on Netflix that you have to pause before the kids walk into the room? Or do they watch you watching a playlist from a worship service and they see you on the floor just weeping and pouring out your heart before God? Your children are going to reproduce what they see you doing. So do your children see you looking like Jesus or looking at the world? Are you spending so much time in the presence of Jesus that your children are going to be just like you? I love having the kids in our worship services the last couple of weeks because we're teaching our children how to host the presence of God. Mom and dad, and all of you that don't have kids, you're saying, hey, little ones, follow me as I follow Christ. So maybe you don't have kids, but the person sitting next to you does. Do you want that kid to be the kind of worshiper that you are? Why? Because we become like what we behold. And sadly, it works the other way too. If you look at worldly things, if you look at sinful things, you will become like that. Your life will reproduce those things in your life. So too often we are constantly looking at and we're worshiping celebrities and social media influencers and politicians and wealth, pornography and violence and horror. And I tell you, other people can tell what you have been beholding. You can look at the striped and spotted goats and immediately know that they're Jacob's because they were looking at those spotted and speckled things. You can't hide your sin because other people can see what you've been looking at in your life. And here's the, flip it back over. Other people can see when you have been a lot of time beholding Jesus. 
You ever meet people and you're like, you just feel like faith arise in you. You feel joy and hope and peace arise in you after being in the presence of a great man or woman of God. They have been beholding the presence of Jesus and you can see it on their life. The more time you spend in the presence of God, the more you're going to start sounding like Jesus. You're going to love other people like Jesus. You're going to have faith like Jesus. You're going to believe God for miracles like Jesus. You're going to bring the kingdom of Jesus into every room you walk into. Where you work is going to get better because Jesus lives on the inside of you and you have learned how to behold his presence. This week, the staff, we went to um, Hurtado Barbecue in Arlington. Highly recommend if you haven't been before. We all came out of that place with very full bellies. And we got into my truck and all of us just smelled like smoke and it was glorious. <laughs> like in spite of his long hair, Iris smelled amazing. <laughs> because he had been in the presence of smoked meat. It smelled like, I'm sure that's what heaven smells like. You know, it was Alan at the barbecue restaurant. He goes, this is what heaven smells like. And I'm like, amen. He goes, no, think about it. God created a, a form of worship that you took animals, cut them into pieces, and you burned them in a fire in his presence. God loves the smell of good barbecue. And I'm so hungry for barbecue right now. Golly, I can just smell it. I want us to leave a worship service at Uncommon smelling like heaven because you've spent time in his presence worshiping him. We should smell like the thing. We become like the thing that we behold. We don't talk about idolatry much in 2024, but the Bible talks about it a lot because God hates idolatry. I think we have idolatry, we just don't call it idolatry. We make an idol out of sports, out of money, out of celebrities, out of music, out of Taylor Swift, out of fo football. We make an idol out of these things and we worship and adore them and we become like them. God hates idolatry, Psalm 115. Their idols are silver and gold. And they are the work of human hands. Talking about literal, physical idols that were created by people. They might have a mouth, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have a nose, but they can't smell. They have a hand, but they can't feel. They've got feet, but they can't walk. They have a throat, but they can't make a sound. Those who make them, leave verse 8 up for a minute. Those who make them become like them. And so does everybody that worships them on Instagram. You will become like the thing that you worship the most. In the rest of the world, many religions today still worship some form of idol, a physical thing that cannot see, cannot speak, and every other God in our lives is an idol. Your television can be an idol. Your phone can be an idol. Your bank account can be an idol. The celebrity that you love the most can be an idol because we worship that thing more than we worship Jesus. And it influences us, why? Because we become like the thing that we behold. Man, I want your time, your talent, your money, your affection to be on Jesus. Why? Because you become like the thing that you behold. I want you to become more like Jesus. 
That's why from Genesis to Revelation, God hates idolatry. He doesn't hate idolatry because he's an egomaniac. And he's like, well, I don't know why you're worshiping that handmade thing. You should worship me. Oh, man, I really wish people would worship me. No, he hates idolatry because God loves you so much. He knows that you will become like the thing that you behold. So he doesn't want you worshiping some demon God. He wants you worshiping Jesus so you become more like him. That's why we should have no other idols. This message summarizes why in the last few months our church has made a a change, if you will, to really spend time worshiping the Lord, really going into the presence of God. Because if we become what we behold, I want to spend a lot of time beholding Jesus. Here's the crazy thing. Most of our idolatry is not done in church. It's done at home. It's done laying in bed. It's done sitting on the toilet. It doesn't take that long to go to the bathroom, but you're in there for an hour. Why? Because you're just worshiping this thing. I want you to spend time at home worshiping Jesus. If you have, if everything that I've been encouraging you with the last month has fallen on deaf ears, and you have not yet spent any considerable time worshiping Jesus in your house, this week, put it, pull out your phone and make an appointment and make an alarm, two alarms remind you that at this o'clock, I'm gonna put on some worship music, and I'm gonna put everything else in airplane mode, and I'm gonna learn how to honor and enter into the presence of Jesus in my home. I'm going to study the word of God looking for Jesus so that the word of God can transform my life and I can become more like him. I'm going to, I'm going to spend time in prayer. What did Josie talk about? Golly, Josie's message last week was ridiculous. I'm going to spend time in prayer because God wants to partner with me to bring heaven to earth and he does that through a people of faith that pray. I want other people to see Jesus' stripes in my life. Jesus' spots in my life. I think we need to be a lot more careful what we worship. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because it is impossible to watch hours and hours of secular entertainment, movies, TV shows, and other things of entertainment that, that, that promote lust and greed and adultery and anger and horror and violence without that transforming who you are. And you become more like the thing that you've been worshiping. So worship Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters at Uncommon Church, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Why is the Apostle Paul making such a big deal about this? teaching the church in Philippi because he's trying to make disciples and Paul knows that we become like the thing that we behold. And if we think about the vile things that are in Roman culture, the church is going to become vile like Roman culture. But if we think about the things of God, we think about the things that are pure, we think about the things that are holy, the church will become holy. He's transforming a church by transforming the things that we look at. Hop up on your feet. I'm going to read you the most important verse of the day. If you like having long things tattooed in Greek on your arm, this is the one. You ready? <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. Several of you raised your hands. I would like all of you to open up your hands like you're receiving a gift. And I'm going to read this verse to you again. The Lord is spirit. 
and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, every body at Uncommon Church, with an unveiled face, will behold the glory of the Lord. And by doing so, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory into another degree of glory. This comes from the Lord who is a spirit. You want to become more like Jesus? We need to learn to behold him. We need to learn to worship him and honor him. We need to learn to fix our eyes on him and enter into his presence. And if we do so, he will give us a measure of his glory. And if we do it more, we will go from glory to glory. One worship service of really honoring God will lead to another. It'll lead to another until every time we come into his presence, there is this depth. There is this deep river of the things of God flowing from heaven, flowing through your life and into our city. Did you catch the part about going before the Lord with an unveiled face? He was referring all the way back to Moses. Moses would go up Mount Sinai and he would literally enter into the cloud of the presence of God. But a man who has sin in his life cannot be that close to the presence of God. So Moses would wear a veil over his face because he could not behold the one that he loved because of his sin. What happened on the cross? What happened on that third day when the tomb was rolled, when the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty? Jesus took our sin and he removed it as far as the east is from the west. And he's inviting you to look at him with an unveiled face, nothing hidden, no shame, nothing keeping you from the presence of Jesus. When I got that invitation to go to Washington to visit the embassy, Josie and I didn't even really have to pray about it. The answer was yes. It was such an honor to be invited. But every Sunday morning and every Wednesday afternoon, whenever you spend time with the Lord, every Wednesday night for presence and prayer, you are invited by the King of the universe into his presence. Don't ever take that invitation lightly. Don't ever take that invitation for granted. Don't ever come late for that invitation. I was almost an hour early to the embassy. I did not want to be late. I didn't want to miss anything. Why? Because I honored the one that invited me. So much in the church today, people don't have honor for God. And he's inviting them into his presence. Like, I just want to catch the preaching. Other than the Bible verses that I read, everything that I have said is nothing compared to the worship that we give to Jesus. The Bible verses are living and true. Everything else that I've said is just Brad's interpretations, funny, self-degradating things to make you laugh, to keep you engaged so you don't fall asleep, so you get to the most important verse at the end. The worship that we give the Lord is the most important thing you'll do all day. Watching the Super Bowl, not the most important thing. All the amazing snacks you're going to eat, although that's amazing, not the most important thing you're going to do today. Worshiping Jesus is the single most important thing you're going to do today. Actually, there's one more. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're not right with God, there's sin in your life that has separated you from God. Maybe a secret sin and your heart has become so hardened to the things of God. You have been running from God. You get hit by a bus this afternoon, you probably die and go to hell. You're not sure that you are right with God, that you're a son and a daughter of the Most High God. 
the most important thing you can do today is repent of your sin, ask Jesus to forgive you, receive the gift of eternal life, and start worshiping Jesus, start serving Jesus, start following Jesus. That's actually the most important thing you can do today. So let me pray for you. Just bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in a minute. Lord Jesus, we become like the thing that we behold. So Lord, I want to behold you more. Every time in worship, every time I get the opportunity to sing and to worship, to get into your presence, I want to behold you. I want to look right in your face. I want to honor you. I want to bless you. I want to exalt you. I want you to be the idol in my life because every other God is an idol. You are the one true living God. And Lord, I want to lift my heart and my voice and my house and my church and my city and say we worship you, we bless you, we honor you, Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you're not right with God, let's do the most important thing you could do. And that is repent and ask God to forgive you. Get right with God. Stop running from God. If you're in this room and you're watching at home online, I want to lead you in a prayer. I can't pray it for you, but I can help. I can, I can give you the words and lead you in a prayer if you believe it. If you're here this morning and you're not right with God, but you're ready, you're absolutely ready, you're sick of running, you're ready to get right with God. It might be the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this. It might be the first time in a long time. And you need, to, you need to return to God. I'd like to know who I'm praying for. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you be brave? And just wave your hand at me real big and say, preacher, pray for me. Today's my day to get right with God. Just shoot a hand up and say, I'm gonna pray this prayer. I'm gonna get right with God today. I see your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand. Anybody else? Shoot your hand up real high. Praise God. Praise God. All right, YouTube, three or four people shot their hand up right away saying, dude, today's my day, I'm getting right with God. Right there between you and that screen, just shoot your hand up, just between you and God and say, I wanna pray this prayer. All of you at home and, and here, if you believe it in your heart, let's pray this out loud. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. Please forgive me. Wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I receive the gift of your love and of eternal life. Be the Lord of my life and I will follow you. I will worship you. I will behold you. Make me more like you in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Hey, for you that prayed that prayer, man, I'm so proud of you. Come on, somebody. Yay, God. Yay, God. Yay, God. I'd like our prayer team to come down to the front. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, even if you didn't raise your hand, but you meant it, I want you to screw in a light bulb with your name or your initials on our Jesus wall. If you're watching at home, I want you to text the name Jesus, 817-405-2244. Text the name Jesus to that number. All that does is send you an auto response form. Fill out that form, click submit, because we want to put your name on a light bulb on the Jesus wall, and we want to begin to pray for you and encourage you as well. If you're Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.